0: like you turn in your Bible to First Samuel sixteen as we continue our Samuel series, and we come to an important transition in chapter sixteen of Samuel's uh, narrative as we shift away from King Saul, the man rejected by God, to a man after God's own heart, the shepherd youth David. Saul had committed an unlawful sacrifice. He had failed to obey the Lord's command to annihilate the Amalekites, even all of their cattle. And so the Lord judged him by tearing away the kingdom and giving it to a neighbor of his, one who was better than him. Well, that neighbor is introduced in our chapter, chapter 16. And throughout this passage, there are nine uses of the Hebrew verb to see, to to appear and, and kind of a prevailing theme in the passage is the fact that, that God does not see as man sees. And we do not see as God sees. But we do, as God's people see with eyes of faith, when we trust in to provide everything we need for life and godliness. Please follow as I read 1 Samuel 16. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all of your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome and the lord said arise anoint him for this is he then samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers and the spirit of the lord rushed upon david from that day forward and samuel rose up and went to ramah now the spirit of the lord departed from saul and a harmful spirit from the lord tormented him and saul's servant said to him Behold now, a harmful spirit from from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Therefore, Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David your son, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David his son to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service. And Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hands. So Saul was fresh and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. This is God's word. Father, I would... Ask of you this evening that the words of my mouth, and that the meditations of each of our hearts might be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, this has been a bad week for prognosticators. Another national election has come with the pollsters not exactly predicting the things that would take place. The business of predicting and estimating seems to have fallen. On hard times. In the realm of athletics, it's a, quite a mistake to underestimate your opponent. Pride, hubris leads us to undervalue the strength of our opponents and overvalue our own. The Bible is full of underestimators. Pharaoh, Goliath, Those who mock God only to be laid waste by a surprising turn of events. Sadly, God's people can also be guilty of underestimating the mighty works of the Lord. Our passage tonight introduces us to Israel's greatest king, one who was underestimated. In turn, we also see how God's people underestimated the Lord. And the Lord's Christ. Our passage begins with the Lord arousing the prophet Samuel, who is grieving, who is stricken with grief over Saul. He's down in the dumps, not unlike many in our nation, after a tumultuous election week. Samuel is perhaps regretting his time with Saul. Perhaps he's fearing for Israel's future, now led by a madman for. A king. Will Israel fall to pieces? He fears. Well, the Lord answers with a resounding no, commanding Samuel to go to Jesse in the city of Bethlehem to anoint one of his sons as the new king. Israel needs a king who is strong, who will serve the Lord and not himself. The Lord says, Notice, I have provided for myself a king. God doesn't need a king. God's people need a king. But this emphasizes the fact that this is God's king, chosen by the Lord. Well, notice how Samuel immediately objects to this command. He can't anoint a new king. Saul will kill him. Saul is already paranoid and self-protective. And Samuel is not naive. He knows what Saul is capable of, now a ruthless tyrant. So the Lord instructs Samuel to go to Bethlehem by taking a heifer for sacrifice, so as to not arouse suspicion. The Lord hides his intentions from Saul, who has proven himself faithless and unworthy of the truth. Samuel's arrival arouses the fear and trepidation of the elders at Bethlehem. Bethlehem was not on his regular circuit for preaching and teaching. Perhaps they feared the prophet coming to rebuke them for some secret sin. Perhaps they were aware of the rift now between Samuel and King Saul and feared the wrath of the king. Samuel reveals only part of his mission. As he does come peaceably and to consecrate the men and the Jesse and his sons by washing their bodies and their clothing for the sacrifice. In verses 6 and following, we see Jesse's sons paraded past Samuel one by one, but each time the Lord rejects them. None of these are to be the Lord's anointed. We see Samuel's reaction. We read his thoughts as Eliab, perhaps presumably the oldest, as he comes before him, and he assumes that this is the king, betraying even Samuel's bias, reflecting the spirit of his age that measured a man by his height, by his appearance. And, of course, the Lord, knowing Samuel's thoughts and knowing what the admirers in Israel had seen and said of Saul when he was anointed king, how he was handsome and a head taller than all of the other Israelites. The Lord corrects Samuel, Israel, and us when he says, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. It's been fairly well documented that taller men are oftentimes promoted at work. Whether or not their work performance warrants such a promotion, the Lord here rebukes the idolatrous obsession of focusing on outward Appearances, we have much of this in our own day. People go into debt in order to appear more affluent than they really are. People invest more in beauty products or procedures than support ministries or missions. In the parable, Jesus describes the Pharisee who paraded his appearance of righteousness while concealing a proud and unclean heart. God sees. God sees the heart and is not fooled by the appearances of men. God sees, and we must see with the eyes that God gives us. And notice that it's the heart that ultimately matters. Character and a person's heart are of much greater worth than outer appearance. That applies to whether we are selecting a leader, a friend a spouse, or any other vile relationship that will have tremendous influence on us. Well, all of Jesse's sons presumably pass by Samuel? They look great, but none of them fit the bill. With deep faith and keen logic, Samuel must ask the question, have you any more? Well, somewhat sheepishly, Jesse replies that there is still the youngest who was out keeping the sheep. David had been a mere afterthought, almost forgotten. Samuel requires his attendance. He knows how to get what he wants and says that they will not sit to eat until this youngest son arrives. And here we see that even David's own father underestimates him. He was not considered worthy Of attending the sacrifice, he is treated less like a son and more like a servant whose job was to keep the sheep. His name is not even mentioned until verse 13. Even Samuel was expecting a man, some sort of stout warrior, someone who at least looked like a king, not a scrawny shepherd boy. Well, David arrives in haste with the smell of the sheep and the great outdoors still on him. He is ready. Says his eyes are beautiful. He is handsome, indicating that good appearances are not a disqualifier. They're just not the final factor for selecting a leader. Notice that God has already been preparing David for this, being a servant and a shepherd from his youth, the duties of a shepherd of watching the flock, feeding and protecting the sheep, healing the sick, binding up the broken, bringing back strays, are all qualities leaders need to reflect to lead their people well. David had gained these valuable skills and experience while in service to his family's flock and made him fit for even greater responsibilities. I think in our age, we need to aspire more for our youth than to merely stay safe and out of trouble. Our youth need experience, training, skills, and opportunities to serve for the greater advancement of God's kingdom. They must be urged to take kingdom risks and to never underestimate what the Lord can do with a willing and humble heart. You can only imagine Jesse and David's older brothers wondering whether the old man had finally lost it. See, observe the prophet anoint the most unlikely candidate to be the new king of Israel. It's a vulnerable time. Things are not well with Saul. If word gets out, what's going to happen to their family? There, there, there's there's an, a spirit of fear and anxiety and a need to trust the Lord in his protection. We can only imagine where David's older brothers were wondering, why were they overlooked? Were they tempted to resent their younger brother like Cain, like Joseph's older brothers? We don't know. The text doesn't tell us. We do know that Jesus' brothers did not accept him until after his death and resurrection. We learn later in the narrative that David's brothers do eventually fall in line and follow his leadership. Sometimes it takes a while to embrace God's agenda when it is so counter to our own. Well, verse 13, David receives a stamp of approval far superior to Samuel's. He receives the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him from that day forward. David was already a naturally gifted young man, He had developed his skills in slinging stones and learning Hebrew poetry. But all of these things amount to nothing without the spirit of the Lord. Now, it's important to note that this was not not David's regeneration or his conversion. This is the spirit of empowerment, of enabling and equipping David to do what God had called him to do, similar to the judges that we read in the book of Judges, similar to Saul, who had experienced this and lost it by his rebellion and faithlessness. David did not receive superhuman strength like Samson. In fact, he performs no miraculous powers, as far as we know from the scriptures. Rather, he is enabled to fight in the Lord's strength, with a lion-like courage to fight and defeat the Lord's enemies. We see here God's strange and refreshing ways of trampling upon human standards— God seems to delight in choosing the most unlikely to do his will. Athanasius was a short, dark Egyptian man who was nicknamed the Black Dwarf by his enemies, whom God used to preserve orthodoxy in the early church of the 4th century, who also identified for us the 66 canonical books in the scriptures. Athanasius, the bishop, was exiled no less than five times, but each time returning to serve the church to fend off the flock from the Aryan heresy to affirm and maintain Christ's full deity and humanity. Centuries later, God would use William Wilberforce in the post-American revolutionary era to bring an end to the British slave trade, even to abolish slavery itself in the early 19th century, short in stature, Wilberforce was giant in speech, in eloquence. After one speech to the House of Commons, an observer wrote, I saw what seemed a mere shrimp mount upon the table. But as I listened, he grew and grew until the shrimp became a whale. Unimpressive. Overlooked. Underestimated in the eyes of the world, David Athanasius and Wilberforce became giants who overthrew kingdoms. Like Gideon, who led his 300 men against thousands. Like Paul, who lacked eloquence and had physical weaknesses. These men feared the Lord. And with God-centered zeal, overcame fierce opposition. Unlike Saul, who feared man, who served himself, these men had hearts that pleased God with obedience, taking bold risks, men of action who put themselves out there, who left everything on the playing field. These were men of faith, not presumption. In the words of William Carey, they attempted great things for God, expecting great things from God. Well, David's rise... Through verse 13 is paralleled with Saul's demise. In verse 14, we read, of the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. His power source was gone. He's unplugged. Saul had turned from the Lord, and so the Lord had turned away from Saul. Saul focused on himself, his own agenda, building his own kingdom, operating on his own strength. And so he forfeited God's honor and blessing. A man who began with great promise will end in terrible peril. He's a prodigal, privileged, and squandered. Like Esau, who despises his birthright, Saul is a pretty boy reprobate who fails to value the greatest treasure of all, God's spirit, and stumbles upon the path of destruction. Saul grossly underestimates his need for God's spirit, He is dismissive of God's commands and so falls into the pathway of destruction. This departure of the spirit left a void in Saul. And of course, nature abhors a vacuum. God sends a harmful spirit to torment him, sent to pass judgment upon Saul. And whether this is a holy angel or perhaps a hellish demon, The spirit is under God's sovereign direction. It's punishment upon this reprobate man. And we cannot explain away Saul's behavior in terms of mental health or psychological phenomena. In fact, Saul was deranged. He was lacking in a sound mind, but the scriptures say it was under the influence of a spirit who was sent by God as consequences of his sinful behavior and a warning to us to remind us of how vulnerable we are, how exposed we are, how when left to ourselves, we too can fall away from the Lord. Without God's Spirit, we may possess all things, but have all those things without God's blessing. With the Spirit, though, we may lack everything, and be filled with the joy of God. Our ministry is nothing without the Spirit, no matter how talented, how well-funded, how well-marketed. Our efforts to be godly, to please the Lord, are futile without his Spirit. And so the wise saint clings to the words of Jesus from John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. In the words that Paul wrote to the Philippians, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. We'll Saul's servants offer a wise diagnosis, but then propose a worldly solution as they seek after a man who can play the liar. The playing of the liar in the ancient world was thought to combat evil spirits. These men underestimated God's grace and forgiveness. Sounder advice would have compelled Saul to confess, to repent, to be reconciled to the Lord his God. Return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord in Zechariah 1 verse 3. Rather, Saul's counselors prescribe a painkiller when what he needs is heart surgery. Well, Saul heeds the counsel of his men And one is recommended to him, one of the young men recommend, Jesse's son, who is known to be a skilled player, and not only a musician, but a man of valor, a man of war, not just a warrior, a man prudent in speech, of good presence. And the Lord is with him. That's quite a resume and quite a recommendation. We don't know where David God's battle experience, perhaps some of the skirmishes with the Philistines had come near Bethlehem. The man, David, prudent in speech, would go on to author nearly half of the Psalter. This young man of good presence demonstrated godly dignity and a a positive demeanor towards others. David is valiant, prudent, well-composed, and most importantly, the Lord is with him as the Lord had been with Joseph in the book of Genesis. Well, Saul summons David to the king's court, which, of course, trumps his role as a keeper of the sheep. Jesse complies, sending his son along with many gifts to the king. David finds favor in Saul's court, becoming Saul's armor bearer. God was even gracious to use David's music and playing to make it effective to soothe Saul and to drive out this harmful spirit. David, in his worship and praise of the Lord, brought a new spirit, a new peace to Saul's court, at least for a time. David goes from tending sheep to tending Saul from caring for domesticated animals to serving a deteriorating beast. Saul, unbeknownst to him, is summoning his own secret successor to serve in his court. And here David gains great experience, learning matters of state, building allies, his friendship with Jonathan, and so forth. Like Obadiah, who served under the evil king Ahab, David helps us today, helps believers who serve in affliction, where we are called upon to be a godly influence, perhaps working for mad, unbelieving people in authority. Believers would do well to follow David's example in the workplace, that we might grow in our, the esteem of our employers, that we might advance in influence and responsibility Later on, David will demonstrate tremendous respect for Saul, the Lord's anointed, respecting the office of the king. And we should take note of this. In in such hostile, divisive times politically and culturally, and may we honor those in authority and not speak evilly of our elected officials or those in our business operations. David will be salt and light to Saul, even though he is later hated and persecuted by the king. God calls us to minister to the lost, to tormented people. And to some, we will be the sweet-smelling aroma of Christ, and to others, we will be the stench of death. But never underestimate what God can do in us by the Spirit, as he places us and opportunities of influence with others. David, the poet king, the singer of Israel, a renaissance man, a man of prayer, a man of war, a leader among men. He is the man after God's own heart who would win the hearts of Israel. And yet David is but a shadow of David's greater son, whom he calls Lord in Psalm 110. The son of David will be despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. And all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The Lord Jesus would come from common stock, not the elite educated class. Many complained that he was too common, came from the wrong place, spent time with the wrong people, even sinners. And worst of all, messiahs are not supposed to suffer. The authorities underestimated him. His family underestimated him. Even his own closest disciples and followers underestimated him. Desmond Doss was a pacifist who refused to carry a gun, who joined the World War II effort entering the the military service as a medic. Desmond was persecuted. He was beat up repeatedly by the soldiers in the barracks who tried to get him to quit, but he refused Somehow, Desmond survived basic training and fought in the Battle of Okinawa, a story told in the film Hacksaw Ridge. It was one of the most brutal arenas of fighting in all of World War II, as American soldiers had to climb up a a sheer cliff and to remove the Japanese stronghold who were entrenched with underground tunnels, developing expertise in guerrilla warfare, the Americans military suffered huge casualties and many, many wounded. But one night, Desmond rescued over 70 wounded men, lowering them with ropes down this 100-foot-plus high sheer cliff, constantly in danger of the Japanese who were lurking, killing the survivors they could hear, breathing and gasping in the night. This exhausting and heroic work by a mere medic, a pacifist, inspired the other soldiers to finally take and defeat the Japanese in the upcoming battle. Desmond Doss was the first man to win the Medal of Honor without firing a shot. Everyone had underestimated him, but grew to respect him and honor him above all. Like Doss, Jesus came to us not to kill or to judge. He came to save. He came on the greatest rescue mission the world has ever known. People underestimated him at his first coming. And yes, many are underestimating him now. That he will come a second time. Returning to judge the living and the dead, the righteous and the unrighteous. Friends who call Jesus Lord, who believe upon him by faith, do not underestimate him. Like his followers who failed to take him seriously that he would suffer, die, and rise again. He promised us that he would be with us. That he has gone ahead of us to prepare a place for us, that he continues to intercede for us, that he promised to give us his spirit to convict us of sin, to lead us into all truth, to transform us, promise that we would do even greater works than he would, to serve as his witnesses, set free with a clean heart and a right mind to love, know, and serve the living God. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Father, we are so grateful. We're so grateful for your anointed, the Lord Jesus, who came in humility, who came in meekness, but who rose in triumph over sin and death with a great victory over the grave. And we look forward to his second coming that transform all things to make all things new. May you sustain us. May you keep us. May you enable us to live and to walk by faith, to bring honor and glory to your name. We pray this, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The Westminster Pulpit is courtesy of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You are welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 8 or 11 a.m. To learn more or have questions about the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus our Savior, contact us at westpca.com. Thank you, and may Christ be glorified through this ministry, the Westminster Pulpit.